It's awesome to be here. My name is, woo. Hey, Shane, I'll trade you water for a Red Bull. Thank you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I do want that back, though. I've never seen one of those little, like, holster things, like, for your Red Bull. That's crazy. It's like, man, you want some spirit-filled worship. <laughs> Just get yourself a Red Bull and a stand that holds it for you. That's great. I wish mine had one of those. That'd be so cool. It's great to be here. I love coming out to Boone. This is a great church, and I'm over in Ames with Salt Company doing stuff with freshmen, so it's fun to be out here. I think this is my third or fourth time over here, so I love every time I get to come out. So we are going to be continuing in Acts this morning, picking up where Troy left off last week in Acts 8, so you can start flipping there. If you brought a Bible or if you're on a phone, pull that up. I sent my notes to the elders this week, and Joey and Matt, I think, edited my notes and put something in my introduction to say how awesome Joey is. So, Joey, I love you. You're one of the best-looking men I've ever seen. Matt, I love him too. That's all I have to say about him. If he was here, I, I don't know. I'd probably tell him to his face that he's not as attractive as Joey. So, All right, Acts 8. We have a fun story about an Ethiopian eunuch. Joey asked me if I was going to go into what a eunuch is. If you don't know, ask the person next to you. <laughs> there you go. Joey, have fun with that one tonight. All right, I'm going to read the story, and then we're going to break this story down into three parts. First, an unimaginable fulfillment. Second, a spirit-produced encounter. And third, a faithful response. So we're going to be in Acts 8, 26. We're going to finish out the chapter. So here's our story. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went there. There's an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He'd come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe this generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I asked you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What should keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All right, so like I said, we're going to break this into three parts. Part one, an unimaginable fulfillment. Part two, a spirit-produced encounter. And part three, 
the faithful response. So first, an unimaginable fulfillment. Look back at verses 26 in that first paragraph. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. So last week, Troy reminded us that the theme verse of Acts is Acts 1.8, where uh, it says, you will, be my wit- you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So these early Christians hear this, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they begin being witnesses in all those places, first in Jerusalem, then to Judea, and then last week we saw that Philip went to Samaria and was a witness in Samaria where Simon, this sorcerer, comes to Christ and is baptized, and all of this crazy gospel activity is happening, and now this week, the end of the verse is going to be fulfilled to the ends of the earth. So Philip goes down to Gaza and comes across this Ethiopian man. Now, this Ethiopia isn't modern-day Ethiopia. It's basically the southern part of Egypt and the northern part of Sudan. And in the minds to this first-century people that are getting this letter, this is the end of the earth. This is the edge of the Roman Empire. So this is, in their minds, the ends of the known world. This Ethiopian eunuch represents the end of the earth. And Philip is going to come to him and share the gospel with him. He's going to come to Christ and head back to Africa with the gospel to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 is going to be fulfilled. That is crazy. Philip is a witness to this man. He's going to carry the gospel back to Africa with him to the ends of the earth. But Philip would have never imagined the way God was going to fulfill this. So Acts 1-8 is being fulfilled. The gospel is going to go out to the ends of the earth, but it is being fulfilled in an unimaginable way. It's easy with all these crazy stories of this sorcerer coming to Christ and now this Ethiopian eunuch, this high-ranking official, to lose sight of what Philip had just gone through and what was happening all across the early church. So if you look back in Acts 6, just a couple pages before this story, At the beginning of Acts 6, there's, the church is booming, it's growing to the point where the apostles who are leading the church can't keep up with this daily distribution of food to the to widows. So they appoint these seven men. So in verse 4, but we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose these seven. They chose Stephen, a, mo- a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests also became obedient to the faith. So in Acts 6, you have all of this gospel ministry happening. The church is expanding, great numbers of people, even priests are coming obedient becoming obedient to the faith, and you have Philip and his buddy Stephen and five other guys appointed to begin doing this ministry of feeding widows. But right as all this gospel ministry is happening, right as the church is growing to the point where Stephen and Philip need to be appointed along with these other five, what happens? 
Opposition arises, and Stephen is stoned to death. He's martyred. So Philip watches the guy that he's doing ministry with side by side get martyred for Jesus. And then right after that, look at Acts 8.1. After Stephen's martyr, Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. And Philip flees for his life. Now, when we read these stories of Simon the Sorcerer and the Ethiopian unit coming to Christ, we can just think, man, this must have been so much fun and so great for Philip to see all of this. And it was. It was exciting. It was amazing to see the supernatural ways that God was bringing people to Christ. But what was it on the heels of? It was on the heels of Philip seeing with his own eyes one of his best friends martyred for Jesus. It was after Philip had seen families being torn apart, Paul ravaging the church, dragging off men and women and throwing them into prison. I mean, just imagine the turmoil that Philip must have been feeling. The persecution is so intense that he is running for his life. So when the Christians heard Acts 1-8, that God was going to send them to be a witness in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, they would have never imagined the way God was going to fulfill that was through persecution. Philip would have never thought, man, I know how God's going to fulfill this promise. I'm going to watch my best friend be murdered, and I'm going to watch families be torn apart by Saul. He would have never expected that was how this was going to be fulfilled. But in God's sovereignty, he used all these things. Had the persecution never broke out, had Philip never watched Stephen die, had he never been driven out of the city, he would have never come across Simon the sorcerer, never went to Samaria, and he would have never went to this Ethiopian eunuch. God's going to accomplish his mission by whatever means possible. And in his sovereignty, he can use some of the hardest things in our life to reach people who are desperate for Jesus. There will be people who meet Jesus today through some of the most unimaginable circumstances in our lives. And it's entirely possible that God might be using the hardship that you're facing right now so that you would actually interact and come across someone that any other time you would have never interacted with. I mean, uh, uh, five years ago, I'm thinking about my grandfather and grandma, who my grandma had a brain tumor and was living in hospice for a year. And the, the nurses that my grandfather was able to interact with, he would have never interacted with them had she not had a brain tumor. Never would have had the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Now, we're super sad that my grandma went through all that, but I'm grateful that God and his sovereignty can use that to help us interact with and cross paths with people who, on the other hand, we would have never interacted with. Maybe it's not you in the hospital. Maybe it's something that's just more ordinary. Uh, My dryer at my house has been blowing our fuses for about a year now, so I've gotten to know the appliance guy that lives up the street really well, Greg. And I probably had my dryer not blown fuses, which is really frustrating and annoying because we're doing laundry at my parents and Natalie's parents' house. I would have never met Greg, but I've gotten to know Greg really well, which I'm 
both happy about and not happy about. <laughs> I wish I would have just gotten to know Greg from like walks around our neighborhood or something like that, but he keeps coming over to my basement. I need my dryer to be fixed, but it's not, okay? But even a small thing like that, a frustrating inconvenience like a dryer being broken, God can use to help us interact with people that we would have never interacted with ordinarily. We cannot be confused. As exciting as this ministry was that Philip was getting to participate in, it was happening because of painful events and turmoil that he was facing. Seeing families ripped apart, seeing his best friend murdered, this was an unimaginable way that God was going to fulfill Acts 1.8. It was unimaginable that this was how the gospel was going to get to the ends of the earth, but it was. And God and his sovereignty can use some of the hardest situations that we're facing or just the daily inconveniences that we go through to take the gospel to people who desperately need it. Okay, so that's part one. Acts 1.8 is being fulfilled in this unimaginable way. So here's the second part. A spirit-produced encounter. So look back. We're going to read the beginning of the story again. So in verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So right at the beginning of this story, what happens? An angel of the speaks to Philip, and Philip goes. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in the chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. Okay, check all this out. You have an Ethiopian man from the ends of the earth. He's a high official. He, he was in charge of her entire treasury. He was a man of position. And he just so happened to not only have a copy of the scroll of Isaiah, which was incredibly rare, but he was also reading it. 29, again, the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Again, the Spirit is at work in this entire encounter. Philip ran up to it, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and, and as a lamb is silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe this generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who's this prophet saying this is about, himself or someone else? And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. So not only is the, the Spirit working and telling Philip the route to go, not only is Phil, or the Spirit working in the man that Philip is going to meet with this high-ranking Ethiopian official who happens to have Isaiah, the passage that he is reading is probably not only the best passage that describes Jesus in Isaiah, but probably the best passage that points to Jesus in the whole Old Testament. The Spirit's fingerprints are all over this encounter. From sending Philip on this direction, to the man that he would encounter, to the passage that this guy was reading, from the Spirit telling him to go run up to this chariot, the Spirit is producing this entire encounter. So for us, it's two questions before we unpack 
the actual message that Philip is going to tell him. But in our lives, one, do you know that the Spirit is working to produce these, enc- these kinds of encounters? Do you know that the Spirit is orchestrating these sorts of encounters for you? That the Spirit is working to both work in you, to send you, but also working to prepare the person that he's sending you to? Do you live with a knowledge that the Spirit is doing that in your life and in your encounters? And two, do you live with an awareness and sensitivity to the work of the Spirit in your life? When you sense that the Spirit is sending you somewhere or sending you to someone, do you have an awareness of that? Do you have a sensitivity to that to respond? So what was the Spirit doing in this encounter? Why was the Spirit doing all of this to bring Philip to this Ethiopian eunuch? Look back at verse 35. So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. So what scripture? Back up at 32. Maybe your Bible has it pulled out in the little paragraph. It was, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. So this is a quote from Isaiah 53. And from this passage, Philip proceeds to tell him the good news of Jesus. So the question is, why was Jesus good news to this Ethiopian eunuch? What about Jesus would be good news to this man? We get a clue back in verse 27. So the Ethiopian eunuch comes to Jerusalem. Why? He'd come to worship God in Jerusalem. But here's the thing. In Jewish law... Uh, eunuchs were not allowed to worship with the full privileges as normal Jewish people, but even just Gentiles who've come into the faith. Because of their physical condition, they were actually barred from entering into the temple and had to remain on the outer court of the temple. So the first problem with this guy is he doesn't have access to worship God. So why is Jesus good news to him? Well, first, he doesn't have access to worship God like everyone else. The second reason, if we're actually going to flip over to Isaiah. So flip over to Isaiah 56. We'll go to 53 in a second, but we're going to start in 56. So when answering the question, why is Jesus good news to this man? If the first clue was he didn't have access to worship God, Here's the second clue in Isaiah 56. The Ethiopian eunuch had probably read this multiple times. If he had his own scroll, he had probably read it, starting in verse 3. No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I'm a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial, a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. What do eunuchs long for? They long for a name that endures. And how do you have your name endure? By having kids. But what is the promise that God gives to the eunuchs? I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. 
So two things. How is Jesus good news to this eunuch? The first thing, because of his physical condition, he couldn't enter and worship God. The second thing, there's this promise that he had read thousands of times that there could be a name that he could receive that was better than sons and daughters. How will God fulfill that? How does Jesus meet that? Now let's flip back to 53, Isaiah 53. As the Ethiopian eunuch is reading this passage, this is what Philip would have unpacked for him. So I'm going to read verses 4 through 10. Yet he himself bore our sickness. He carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we were healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shears. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. Why is Jesus good news to the Ethiopian eunuch? When Jesus went to the cross and bore our iniquity, it provided a way for all people to have access to God. Prior to Jesus, how did you get access to God? How did you get become how were you able to worship God? Obedience to the law being Jewish, converting in, and having no defects. But Jesus bore all of our iniquities, all of our pain on the cross so that, what? All of us could have access to God. And now this Ethiopian eunuch, because of Isaiah 53, Isaiah 56 would be fulfilled. He could receive an everlasting name that is better than just sons and daughters that we have here. What's the everlasting name? Child of God. And how was that earned? It was earned through what Christ did for him on the cross. Here's what Philip would have told him. You're longing for a name that lasts forever. God is offering you that everlasting name. Because in Jesus, God lost his child so that you could become his child. God lost Jesus on the cross so that He can make a way for you to come into God's family and have a name that could never be lost. Listen, we're all desperate for a name. Right? Go out and make a name for yourself. And we look to all these different ways to make a name for ourselves. We look to career. We look to having a big family. We look to excelling in academics. And all those things are great but they do not give us a name that is everlasting. It's not wrong that eunuchs want children, but what's the good news of Jesus? There's a name that is better and longer lasting. God can welcome you and I into his family and give us an everlasting name. Unlike career and academics and family 
It's a name that was earned for us by Jesus. Career, academics, family, we have to do all the work to get that name, and in the end, that name doesn't last. But in Jesus, Jesus earned for us a name that is everlasting, a name that is child of God, so that we could come into his family and worship, have access to God. How did that happen? Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter. All of our sin was placed on Jesus on the cross. In Isaiah 53.10, the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. On the cross, Jesus was crushed severely for our sin. Why? So that we could be healed and brought into God's family freely by grace. Be adopted into his family and have a name that can never be lost and never be threatened. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could have a righteousness. All right, third part of our story, the faithful response. So the Ethiopian hears this amazing good news of Jesus that he could have access to God for the first time and that he could have an everlasting name. A name that was better than sons and daughters. So here's the response. Look at verse 34. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. So here's the faithful response, verse 36. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and as he was traveling, he was preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So first, this Ethiopian eunuch was faithful and was baptized. He hears this amazing good news, and the first thing he does is, oh my word, I have to believe in Jesus, and then proclaim that to everyone through this act of baptism. I'm with him. I'm getting baptized. Guys, when we understand the full weight of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he bore our iniquities, we are going to be doing cannonballs into the baptismal. I mean, just think of like Joey last week, like flying in from this like corner and just, we should. Who wants to do it today? No. Yeah, it would be great. Guys, the Ethiopian eunuch knew for the first time, I have access to God, an access that I never had before. And I have a name, child of God, that I never had before. I'm going to proclaim to the world that I am with Jesus by getting baptized. For some of you, that is what the faithful response looks like today. Man, I need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and then proclaim that to everyone through baptism. If Jesus would do that on the cross for me, that's amazing. And if you've lost that amazement of the gospel, rekindle it. Remind yourself of what Jesus did for us on the cross and let that spill over into worship. So first, the Ethiopian eunuch faithfully responded to being baptized. Now second, the Bible doesn't tell us anything more about what happened to this Ethiopian eunuch, but church history says that he took the gospel to Africa. 
that he leveraged his position in society to go back to Africa and proclaim the gospel. That he heard, had an encounter with Christ, and he used the place that God had put him to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Philip, on the other hand, was carried away by the Spirit. He kept preaching until he arrived at Caesarea. And then you don't hear anything about Philip until 20 years later in Acts 21.8. And you want to know what the exciting, amazing, noteworthy thing that he had done in those 20 years? He had raised four daughters to love and follow Jesus. (laughs) That was his faithful response. After all of this amazing gospel ministry that Philip was getting to participate, the Spirit led him to Caesarea and then said, Hey, Philip, you know what your faithful response is now to the gospel? Raise these four girls to love and obey Jesus. For the Ethiopian eunuch, it was, hey, go back to Ethiopia and leverage your position as the chief financial advisor of your country for the gospel. For Philip, hey, I'm going to take you, you're going to preach a little bit more, and then you're camping out in Caesarea for 20 years and be a great dad. That was his faithful response. Here's the point. What is your faithful response to the gospel? How does God want you to participate in his mission? How are you going to leverage your life for Jesus? A man only referred to as the Ethiopian eunuch had the privilege to carry the gospel to Africa. I mean, that would be kind of, what if that was the only thing you were known for, the Ethiopian eunuch? That's like how you were referred to for the rest of history. But you had the privilege of taking the gospel to a continent. Philip went on to raise four daughters who loved God. Uh, My Two grandfathers, I think, picture this really well. So my grandfather on my dad's side is actually going to be here in the second service, and his faithful response to the gospel was to go down to South America for 10 years and start a Bible college and then to be a pastor and go places and take the gospel to these different cities the rest of his life. On the other hand, my mom's father, he came to Christ in the middle of his life, and God's call on him was to continue to be a faithful carpet cleaner and to raise his three daughters to love and follow Jesus, which all three did. Faithfulness to the the gospel can look a lot of different ways. It might look going all the way down to South America. It might look like living in Des Moines the rest of your life and being a really good carpet cleaner and being a great parent. For some, it's to go. For some, it's to stay. But For all of us, the call is leverage your life for Jesus. It's possible that the most radical thing that some of you could do this week is to carve out a significant chunk of time to invest in your children. That is what the Spirit told Philip to do. Hey, carve out 20 years to invest in your four daughters, and that is the most God-honoring glory thing that will bring me glory, is if these four girls love and serve me. It might be the, to be the best employee at your work or the most encouraging employer. Very few of us, probably none of us, will ever get to experience some of the crazy stuff that Philip had. But we shouldn't confuse excitement for radical living. Often, leveraging our lives for Jesus is going to feel really ordinary. The 100th time your recurring tithe goes through isn't going to be like a party. It's like, wow! My tithe went through again. But you know how many people give 10% to a church? That's radical. It feels really ordinary. It's not that exciting. I forget most months. 
but that's radical. How are you participating in the mission of God? Are you wasting your life? We are a part of a story that's so much bigger than ourselves. And God is inviting you to participate with him in his mission to reach the ends of the earth. Now that's going to take a lot of different forms. That might be investing your entire life into your children. It might be being a really faithful employee here in Boone. It might be so that people in John, the stuff that John is hauling to different people, it's like, man, they have to get this construction material or whatever you guys haul so that people can live in houses. That is a God-honoring career. God has put you in a position and wants you to leverage that position for his kingdom. For some of us, that will be go. For some of us, that will be stay. So I went uh, to Cornerstone this morning and grabbed the biggest book I could find in the library. It's a massive book. I was telling uh, Shane that I was going to pretend this was the Bible because the bigger the Bible that you preach out of, the bigger the impact you have, right? Okay, just pretend this is like some concordance, which don't ask me what that means. Joey probably knows. (laughs) Joey knows everything this morning, what a eunuch is, what a concordance is. Man, pretend that this is, say, the history of how God has worked in our world. The story of how God has accomplished his mission. And you have an opportunity to get, let's say, like a sentence or two, a summary of your life in this book, of how you joined God in his mission to reach the world. And it might say, like, John, faithful man in Boone, Iowa, who loved his family and served Jesus. It might say Shane Kelderman, faithfully worked at Stonebridge Church and exalted Christ with his life. You know it would be really sad? If the sentence of my life was Stephen, earned a bunch of money and died. Stephen, lived for something that has no eternal significance. You know, I mean, if it's the Ethiopian eunuch, maybe your name's not even listed. It's just, there was a man in Boone who made little of himself but exalted Christ in what he did. That, that like, might feel small, like, when you look at, like, this whole book, but we have the privilege of being in the book, of participating in God's mission to advance his kingdom. And it might be through ways that are unimaginable in our lives. It will take us being sensitive to the spirit of how he is working, the encounters that he's producing. And it will take a disposition where I'm just, God, use me, use my life in whatever way you've called me to. Guys, Jesus went to the cross and bore the iniquity of us all so that we could have access to God, be forgiven of our sins, have a righteousness that's not our own, and be brought into a family that we can never lose. What is your faithful response to that? Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for you, and yeah, the reality that you went to the cross for us to die so that we could be brought into a family that we can never lose. God, I pray that all of us would leverage our life for your kingdom. Amen.